So even this lion, it's really interesting, even a mighty lion, and he's young, but he's, he's like a full-grown male, is vulnerable when he's left alone. When he's left alone. What's the, what's the I know that was a little choppy, but what, what, what was the strategy of his assailants? Wear him down. Yeah, wear him down. They've got him outnumbered. Just keep wearing them down, keep wearing them down, keep wearing them down. I thought, you know, in a lot of ways, Christians are, are like that mighty lion. We have strength. We have been endowed with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God. Man, that gives you strength. You have been given, it says in Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessing in Christ. That is a strong position. But even so, we all have times, right, that the hyenas are around, that the hyenas are circling us, whether it be trials or grief or doubts or temptations, they can wear us down. And in this video, you see, it was, it was starting to look bleak for this mighty lion, right? You can, you can almost see him tiring and fatiguing. Until, over the horizon, trots his friend, right? Trots his friend. And I always love the guy in his accent. Now the odds have changed, right? <laughs> now the odds have changed. I wonder, I, I, you know, I wonder as that other lion is coming in, did he have a little bit of pause? Did he say, oh man, I'm not, I'm not sure I want to enter into that mess, Right? But still he went, because that's what a friend does. He went and he comes to the rescue. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. You don't have to turn to this. We're actually going to be looking at a couple verses in 1 Thessalonians 5. But it says this in Ecclesiastes, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Although one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Shouldn't we be able to say in the Christian community, now the odds have changed. Right now, the odds have changed. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. You have the Holy Spirit of God. You have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ, but you are still not meant to live alone. You're meant to live in community. This morning, we're going to be continuing... In, in what we could, I called last week kind of the rapid-fire final encouragements that Paul gives to this young Thessalonian church at the end of his letter. And he's addressing community life within the church. And our scripture today deals with a willingness to enter the difficult circumstances of people's lives, like that friend entered some difficult circumstances... 
of his friend's life, but to do so with help that is truly helpful. And the reason I say help that is truly helpful is because I think too often as Christians, um, we enter into other people's specific troubles with kind of a, a one-size-fits-all antidote. And, and you know, we, we, when we come alongside someone and we say, hey, brother, trust in God, dude. God is in control. Is that true? Absolutely it's true. It's 100% true. But when that just becomes a platitude, it, can become, it, could, it could replace the hard work of really giving help that helps. Right? It can be kind of lazy, thoughtless help. It's a, a, a willingness, uh, a, a not having a willingness to invest the time and resources and care that true help entails. Consider the ministry of Jesus. It's really hard to find Jesus interacting with two people the same way. Um, even in, in his speaking, some he rebukes. And some he speaks uh, just with, with gentle encouragement. With some he speaks in stories and doesn't explain them and just leaves people, those people confused. With other people he doesn't say a word. There's some that, that when they ask him to come, he comes instantly. And there's others that he purposely delays. When he heals, sometimes he heals with a touch. And sometimes he heals just with a word. Sometimes he, he heals with his spit. <laughs> There's a couple stories I can show you. He spits and, you know, ears, eyes. Jesus' magical spit. That would be an interesting book. Um, there's all these various ways. Sometimes, sometimes he healed up close, sometimes from afar. Why did Jesus' ministry approach vary so much? Yeah, the needs are varied, right? Needs are varied. We can all say that we have the same root problem. That, again, is 100% true. We are sinners. We've rebelled against God. That sin has broken our relationship with God. We see the consequences of it in ourselves. We see the consequences of it in the world. The root problem is the same. And the good news is, is that we can say that there is a one-size-fits-all solution for the rift that has been torn between you and God. And that is that through the cross of Calvary, every one of you, including me, our sin has been paid for on the cross of Calvary. Amen? One size fits all. So what do I do with my sin problem? I need to turn to Jesus. But yet then we, we go from there. We have to be honest and say sin, sin sends out all these little tentacles in our lives, Right? And, and they, and they kind of they show up in all these various places, in all these various ways, invading and disrupting and distorting and wreaking havoc. So, so, so then the, the, the grace of God must minister in various ways. Peter says this, it's great. Peter says, each of you, he's speaking to the church, each of you should use whatever gift he has 
received to serve others. He's talking about with the Spirit of God, how He has gifted you in special ways. He should use it to serve others, faithfully administrating God's grace in its what? Anybody know it? Various forms. So the root of the problem is sin. The solution is Jesus, right? But just as sin has sent out its tentacles in our lives and in the world, so grace has to go out and minister in its various forms. Just going to look at two verses here. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And I urge you, brothers, or could be brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Now, some would argue that these words are specifically addressed to the leadership of the church. And I believe, likely, Paul is giving a nod to the leadership. Listen up. But we have to see again that what he addresses it to are brothers. Or brothers, again, that, that, that encapsulates both genders. Brothers and sisters, all believers. So we see that it's an instruction that we all are responsible for. It reinforces this constant truth of God's word. That it's not simply the leaders that are responsible for the care of the church body. They're overseers, they're shepherds. We talked about that a few weeks, weeks ago. But that each member must see every other member as a member of themselves. And that's why he talks about the, the church like a body. That I can't say to the hand, I don't, you know, if I'm an eye, I don't say the hand, I don't need you. The hand doesn't say the eye, I don't need you. Each member is a member of themselves. That we would care for one another as we would ourselves as a body. John Stott says the existence of pastors, or we could say pastors and elders, does not relieve members of their responsibilities to care for one another. Michael Holmes says, Paul is trying to develop in the entire congregation a sense of pastoral responsibility. I think what we see in, this, in these uh, couple of verses is that there's a type of triage that needs to be ongoing as we minister to one another. And we, again, can expand this. And Paul kind of expands it, church and then everyone else. Your brothers and sisters, then everyone else. But there's a sort of triage that has to be ongoing. Assessing needs and then entering in appropriately to that need. And the categories that Paul uh, lists here probably harken back to issues he's already addressed in this letter. So we could go even further, but he points out a few. Paul first says, I had some other slides, but... For some reason, PowerPoint is being a little glitchy. Um, Paul first says that we are to warn those who are idle. Now, this word warn is the same Greek word that you find in verse 12, just a couple verses earlier, that is translated in a lot of your Bibles, admonish. Warn those who are idle. Now, who are they to warn? 
the word for idol is actually a military term in that day. It was a term that, that referred to soldiers that, that didn't stay in rank. That was kind of the image. Soldiers that didn't stay in rank. And, and, and it very likely points back to, we've put, talked about this a couple of times, that in the Thessalonian church, there were people that seemed like they were refusing to work. And then as they refused to work, they were taking advantage of those, the generosity of those who were working and working hard. And then in their idleness, they were becoming busybodies. Oh, oh, did, 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 did you hear? Did you hear? Da, da, da. And gossips. Stirring up trouble. They weren't, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, that they, they weren't busy, but busy bodies. The, the Greek word more broadly means unruly, undisciplined, irresponsible, disorderly. So, so we might say that the hyenas that need to be chased away here is the refusal to acknowledge wrong and press toward change. So the folks that, are, that he's dealing with here are people that are really being stubborn, that are really just, you know, when the challenge is laid out, it's, it's either, eh, that's not me, or I don't need, you know, that's just who I am. There's this, there's this refusal to acknowledge and a, and a refusal to press toward change. And Paul says folks like that need to be warned. Now, warning might sound stern, but, but warning actually, actually denotes... A, a type of love. Um, if, if, I, if, you, if you fall asleep on train tracks and I see a train coming and I could care less about you, I'd be like, eh. But if I love you, hopefully I'll do it regardless, right? But you get the point. Hopefully I do it. If I love you, I warn you, hey, hey, a train is coming. Get off the tracks. Warning shows concern. Warning shows love. Um, as Christians, we trust in God that what he says is sinful is deeply destructive to our lives. It, it, it's, it's hurtful. It, it's something that does damage. It's something that does damage to you and your spouse and your kids or your parents or your schoolmates, or whatever. It, it just, it, it's a ripple effect of damage. So we trust that if someone is stubbornly persisting in certain areas of sin, we're saying, listen, that's a danger zone. It's unhealthy for you and for others. We don't enter in with a holier-than-thou attitude, but just kind of that deep concern that unchecked sin wreaks havoc. Uh, this warning that he's speaking about here, especially I think as you take this in context with the rest of the scriptures, um, is not to be kind of a, a nitpicking every failure. Hey, you did something wrong. You did something wrong. But it's only supposed to be applied to someone who's truly, stubbornly unrepentant. And I would also say that it's supposed to be done within an established, trusting, committed, loving relationship in the church. Um, Otherwise, it just comes across as critical fault-finding, right? It just comes across as being superior. It just comes across as judgment. But if I know you love me, and you know I love you, and we've built something together, then you can hear it, hopefully. Or if you don't hear it now, later you go, ah, I know they probably have my best in mind. That, that's what Proverbs 27, uh, 6 
refers to when it says wounds of a friend can be trusted. Warn those who are idle. Next, we hear of the timid. You might say, well, what are the hyenas that need to be chased away for the timid? Timid here literally means those of little soul. Those of little soul. Um, It denotes those who have become faint-hearted or despondent or worried. Maybe they're overly worried or fearful or they're feeling hopeless or sad or they're losing confidence. Uh, Paul may be pointing back, as he addressed in this letter, to those, if you remember early in the letter, there were those that were really brokenhearted and concerned about those who had died in the church. And what did that mean about the coming of the Lord? And would they miss out? And they, they were just despondent about these things. The timid. It may be someone who is immature in the Lord or uninformed in their faith, not knowing how to traverse the the faith, uh, the, the fear, the sorrow, the doubt that they're going through. And to these we're to bring encouragement. Encouragement. The Greek word for encourage here has to do with speaking, actually. It's to speak, um, it's to speak words that bring comfort, but also truth. Bring sound instruction. It's, it's, it's entering in with truth, if we could say sensitively, even tenderly. Not beating someone over the head with it. Well, this is what you need to hear, brother. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's being sensitive and caring and thoughtful and tender with truth. And even in this, we need discretion, right? Because there are times that we need to put all words on pause. Click. Because sometimes someone just needs your presence when they're really grieving. They just need a shoulder to cry on. They just need an ear to hear. But there are times that a gentle course correction is needed in words. And I was thinking, you know, it could be a downhearted Christian that voices, maybe again, they're young in the Lord, or they're just misinformed in the Lord, and and they've had some tragedy in their life, and they associate that tragedy with with God being angry at them, and God's getting back at them for some unrelated thing that happened. And you say, you know what, listen, listen, brother, listen, sister. Let me just gently encourage you that in God's love, he has taken his anger toward your sin. And that anger has been satisfied when Jesus died on the cross. Amen? So sometimes we just need to enter in with that kind of truth. The anger is satisfied. If you trust in Jesus, you are his loved son, his loved daughter. He may may discipline you in a sense of training, but only because he loves you. He's not coming down with a hammer of anger. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. It's done. Next, the weak are to be helped. Warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. The weak are to be helped. The the New Living Translation says, take tender care of those who are weak. And what are the hyenas for the weak that need to be chased off? Uh, This this points to those in the church who are just just particularly vulnerable, particularly struggling. And that could be various different things, even when we think about what Paul's instruction has been here. This was a church that was under great persecution. It could be those that are really kind kind of caving in under that kind of trauma, being persecuted for their faith. 
It could be people that have difficult life circumstances, that because of their life circumstances, they're, they're sick, maybe they're truly tired, maybe they're jobless, maybe, maybe they've had some uh, extreme hardship. Or it could also refer to those who are struggling with the adjustments of making good moral decisions. Paul's talked about what it is to honor the Lord with your morality, with your ethic, with your, with your sexual life. And it could be that there are some that are saying, yeah, I want to do that, but I've been living this way for so long, and they're, and they're truly struggling in those adjustments. They're not folks that are stubbornly refusing to change, right? There's a difference, and this is where discernment comes in. There's someone that has, are just in a season of life that they have little strength. Little strength. And the picture here is to support is to prop up. It's this idea, it actually means to to cling on to. You get this idea of almost coming under someone's shoulder and clinging on to them and being like, you're weak, so I'm here for you. You're struggling with that morally. You're struggling in your life life circumstances. You're struggling with the persecution. I'm going to come under you. I'm going to come beside you. I'm going to cling on to you, and I'm going to bring some real help. It's Aaron and her right? Holding up the the, the tired arms of Moses in the battle against the Amalekites in Exodus 17. In the church, it should be the opposite of only the strong will survive. In the church, it's we all at times will be weak. We're strong in the Lord, but we're still in this broken world. We're still in this broken body. And at times, each one of us will find ourselves weak. But in the Lord, we can do it together. There's a poem by Emma Lazarus called The New Colossus. It was written in 1883. And it reads in part, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Listen to these words. The wretched refuse, the garbage is saying, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest toss to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Anybody know where that is found? Statue of Liberty. And listen, folks, even if we start forgetting this as a nation... Can never forget it as a church, right? Can never forget it as a church. The church, the salvation community of Jesus, must be the place where the weak, the marginalized, the defenseless, the orphan, the widow, the refugee, the immigrant, the broken, the abused, the brokenhearted, the underdog, the slave, the, the misfit, the failures, the disabled, the poor, the hungry, the homeless, the sick, the hopeless, the disenfranchised, the tossed out, those who are living under prejudice and persecution. It is the church that must never forget that we are the place of Jesus' welcome. We are the place of Jesus' hope and dignity and freedom and solace in his name. Boy, that is a great description of what the church should be. 
Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. The call here as Paul is speaking is to address individual needs appropriately. Those who persist in sin don't need comfort as much as they need loving warning. On the other hand, those who are faint-hearted don't need to be admonished as much as they need comfort. The weak need more than comfort. They need to be propped up. They need a shoulder. They need, they need someone to come on alongside them and cling to them. But all this takes taking the time to listen and observe and discern and engage And listen, even when we do all that, sometimes we're still going to get it wrong. (laughs) Sometimes we're still going to get it wrong. And that's why the umbrella over all these is so important. Paul says, be patient with everyone. With everyone. It's it's that word that means long-suffering. Be patient with everyone. Everyone. It's an attribute of God. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's what 1 Corinthians 13, it's one, of those, it's one of those virtues of love, of agape love. Robert Thomas says, patience here pictures the une- the I'm sorry, I'll say that again. Patience here pictures the even-tempered response of one who is slow to anger. Why do we need patience? (laughs) Let me tell you the ways, right? So for the first, first off, first off, uh, Dave Percy said this recently. He said, you know what? You know what a healthy church is going to look like? People are all over the map. People, it's diverse and people are all over the map. Different maturity, different experiences. He says, you know what an unhealthy church looks like? I love this. You walk in and everybody looks and acts the same and talks the same, and does the same, and a healthy church is real, and people are going to be all over the map, and we come, the the church should be one of the most diverse communities in the world, because we're people that wouldn't be together otherwise, right? We talk about this. People from all kinds of different backgrounds, and we're male and female, and different races, and, and different upbringings, different temperaments, that wouldn't even necessarily be friends otherwise. That's the idea that God says, now you're a family. Now you're a family. And that takes patience. Different maturity levels. And besides that, change comes slow. Change comes slow. And sometimes we want to see change in somebody so fast and immediate. And the Lord says, no, be patient. I've got a grandson, right? I've got a grandson now. I don't expect my, my three-month-old grandson to all of a sudden be running around and hitting a baseball right now, right? I expect some development, some time. There's a story. I just <laughs> um, There's a fellow that I met a couple years ago when Julie was being sent out to Indonesia. He works for Pioneer, so he's, like a, he's in full-time missions work. And he lived in Philly, in a really rough area of Philly, grew up. And uh, he came to know Jesus. I mean, Jesus just grabbed him, and he's like, it just turned him inside out. He just, Jesus saved his life. 
but he was from a really rough area. But he was so passionate. He was like, I'm going to follow God. He was of college age, and he went to a Christian college because he wanted to apply to a college. This Christian college, he wanted to get in. He had to have an interview. So he goes to this interview, and he is revved up. He is so excited. He loves Jesus. He wants to get into this Christian college. So the, the uh, interview keeps asking him questions. And all during the interview, he said, the guy who, kept, who was doing the interview kept going, Just like that. He's asking a question. He's answering a question. The guy goes, and after a while, he goes, he goes, hey, hey, listen, brother, are you okay? Are you okay? Oh, no, no, I'm fine, he says. You've just dropped the F-bomb about 10 times. <laughs> you know, and he didn't even realize it. He grew up in the, this rough part of Philly and I'm not making, you know, I don't want to make too light of that, but it's like, hey, he's a baby in the Lord. He loves Jesus. We need time. He needs time to develop to even, to even hear himself, right? We need to be patient with one another. Patient. Um, this, this guy wrote uh, Klein. We got that quote? I can't make these names up. This is a real name. <laughs> Klein Snodgrass. I had to check. I looked at that like six times. Klein Snodgrass. If that's a fake name, that is awesome. Klein Snodgrass. Could not make it up. We must renounce the tyranny of our own agendas, he says. The idea that we should not have to wait on anything or anyone is merely another form of self-centeredness. Patience values other people enough to give them room and time to fail, learn, and develop, to mature at their own rate rather than ex expect them to do everything right and do it now. Hmm. Be patient with everyone. Lastly, Paul reiterates in verse four, uh, 15, the consistent theme of Scripture of non-retaliation um, that, that idea that we'd vengefully treat evil with evil. But rather, he says, that we're to subject evil to kindness. And, and if, you're, if your scripture says, if, you, if it says, try to be kind, that's what my uh, NIV says, try to be kind. Try isn't kind of this half-hearted effort. It actually is this idea of this striving, of vigorous pursuit. It's really interesting. The word there translated try in some of your Bibles Paul often use, uses an association with persecution because it's a vigorous pursuit. So it's almost like, again, Paul does this a lot. He plays on words a bit. So it's like if you're vigorously being pursued with cruelty, vigorously pursue kindness. And this isn't a call to needlessly stay under abuse. Um, it's not even a call to say that sometimes there, there aren't needs to seek justice, because there are. But it is a personal call to always treat, even those who mistreat us, with an uncalled-for kindness. Uh, to break cycles of revenge and, and, and the natural desire to retaliate. You hit me, I'm going to hit you harder. and replace it with undeserved good. 
and the principle is all-inclusive. He says it's, it, it happens here, which also means that here you're going to get hurt too in the church. But then it, that's true here and, every, and for everyone else. A couple of quotes here, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, I just thought these were great. Michael Holmes says, As humans, we are too prone to identify our enemies as God's enemies. We, are t- we too easily confuse our desires for revenge with God's justice. That, that's, that's pregnant right there. Robert Thomas says, non-retaliation for personal wrongs is perhaps the best evidence of personal Christian maturity. And then this last one, and I can't pronounce this guy's name, Paul Actemeyer. Such treatment of opponents has as as its goal reconciliation and peace, not another's defeat or suffering. Wow, how often do we want that? They've hurt me. I want them to suffer. I want them to lose. But the goal would rather be peace, reconciliation. That is the way God dealt with us when we were his enemies. That is the way God deals through us with those who continue to oppose him. We all have times that the hyenas are going to circle. Maybe some of you are feeling that way even today. This week, as you go out, and you have opportunity to minister to hurting people, maybe even this afternoon, maybe even getting a cup of coffee here at Oregon Hill Grace Chapel, as you have people around you that are hurting, put the platitudes on hold. Don't be lazy or or haphazard. Rebuff the temptation to enter in thoughtlessly. Instead, ask the Holy Spirit for discernment. Pray and observe and think. What is the real need? What is the real need? And maybe maybe as you enter in with your thoughtful help, the odds will have been changed. I urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Father God, we we again throw ourselves upon your mercy as we have entered into your word. We know that these are calls, Lord God, that in and of ourselves, apart from Jesus, apart from the Holy Spirit, forget it. But Lord, with your Holy Spirit, you are changing us from the inside out. And Lord, help us not forget that the dynamic has to include with one another. Though we are endowed with every blessing in Christ, Lord, we need community. We sometimes are those who need warning sometimes are those timid that need encouragement. We are sometimes those who are weak that need to be propped up. Help us to do that for one another, to be extremely patient, 
to not retaliate wrong for wrong, but wrong kindness for wrong. Lord, this is the way of Jesus. This is the way that shows us we are truly your sons and daughters and your followers. Help us to enter in with help that is truly helpful. May the church of Jesus, may we as a local representation, be those who takes those who are washed up, the refuse, <laughs> and says, well, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. Here you will find help in the name of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.